Welcome to Three Women, Three Ways. I'm your host, Heather Stark. We have a clinical psychologist and researcher with us today. That's not unusual. We have a number of psychologists and researchers who come on the show. But this one is uh, specializing in a research area that is not looked at very frequently, I don't believe. Uh, Henning Mahaupt, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, you're welcome. And I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I've seen a couple of your your um, uh, articles uh, about your research. I haven't seen your actual research study because, of course, those are, are huge and um, th- they require a heck of a lot more um, uh, dedication than I have to read through them all. Um, but you're a Ph.D. candidate at Oslo University, and thank you for joining mm-hmm. us from, from Norway. And mm-hmm. your research interests are families where there's been violence, and in particular, you're interested in fathers who've been violent yep. to their partners and the impact on the children from that? Is that- yes, and uh, that, that would be right. My, mainly I'm, I'm in my research looking at how, how these fathers experience the relationship to their children. That includes how they view their children, how they make meaning from their children's reactions and, and behavior. Um, and yeah, how they how they think about fathering and being a parent. Hmm. That's fascinating to me because, uh, as you are aware, I'm sure that in the United States in particular, and I'm sure other countries as well, there's a a, a huge issue with custody mm-hmm. when it comes to uh, violence in the home. And many courts in the United States appear to, well, I won't I. I actually have gone through what we call guardian ad litem training mm. in, in our particular country, and I was pretty shocked. The The lip service was toward understanding violence. Of course, it varies from uh, court district to court district, but the court district that I'm in, um, I went through a three-day training to be a guardian ad litem. And mm-hmm. although they said they paid lip service to the whole issue of domestic violence, they then had this notion, and they hammered it pretty hard, and I, I see this as the basis for what we're experiencing here, mm-hmm. that, that you have to be objective, that when you have this man right. and this woman in front of you as an evaluator, you have to mm-hmm. understand that they're both on equal footing, they both have a, you know, a, 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 a 50-50 chance of being a great parent, Mm. I was shocked by that because when you look at the studies and realize that of the contentious divorces uh, and custody battles out there, a whopping percentage are not Mm. normal people. A whopping percentage are these controller freaks. So if Mm. the evaluators and the custody determiners are assuming Mm. that when they're faced with people uh, in in a custody battle that they're both equal, they're not. Right. That's flawed from the very beginning. And yeah. are you seeing that? Is that consistent with what you're seeing in the research you've done? Well, it's uh, it's consistent with what I experience as a therapist, as we often are called to testify in uh, in court procedures uh, in uh, about custody, and it's uh, it's a similar experience that we have here. That it's uh, that the courts often do not understand the the implications of of uh, violence on the mother and on the child and um now it's important when to to mention initially here that uh, in my research uh, we meet men who voluntarily come to treatment 
so it is not necessarily representative of of uh, men who uh, use violence uh, because most men who use violence they would you know they would to begin with not acknowledge that they have a problem and need therapy right. so we have we have a sub sub uh, sample here of of men who to some degree at least uh, can acknowledge that i have a problem and i need help um but still even in this sample when uh, when i did my interviews um i I meet. Uh, I, I, I've interviewed fathers who live with their children, and interviewed fathers who have visitation. Um, and uh, it's it's an issue as well. Obviously, that that uh, they feel that the system. They actually feel that the systems work against them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, it's quite interesting. They feel that they are that that women have all power, and that um, that they. Uh, yeah, that that they're being treated badly, basically, by by the courts. Yes. Um, uh, so it's it is a, it is an issue. It's not an issue that I've been looking at particularly, but I do this research also because I I wanted to 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 learn more about how uh, how men who use violence are as fathers mm -hmm. because I think we need more knowledge about how they experience the father role uh, and and the difficulties they actually have in in parenting so that we can point at at all the other problems that are there uh, that are not necessarily uh, violence or, or or physical abuse you know uh, and and one of the main findings from my study is that uh, that these men in treatment for partner violence that they have great difficulties uh, understanding their children, and yes. that they have great difficulties making meaning from their children's uh, emotions and behavior. Uh, and and I get more and more to the point where I think that um, the the threat for children's psychological development is not necessarily that they're going to be abused by their uh, by their father who has been violent against their mother but that they live in a in a climate where um, where they're with a parent who just is illiterate kind of uh, emotionally and cannot uh, pick up on the children's cues or or uh, cannot uh, or does not know how to respond to to the to the child's cues and emotions. Yeah, and that that's, is uh, yeah. Uh, that's an mm. interesting way to say that. Um, that yeah, that's very interesting. Um, having had some experience with um, these types of men myself, um, mm. it's uh, I I think a lot of times we wonder: is it some sort of extreme narcissism that these men can't? pick up on these cues and then what we see is you know a huge huge blaming others if the child doesn't mm. want to be around this this father um we see the oh it's alienation it must be mom's fault she's 
right. their minds or, mm. uh, you know, because obviously if this child, if my child doesn't want to be around me, the only reason must be that somebody is poisoning their minds. It can't be that they just don't want to be mm. around me because I'm mean. <laughs> mm. That's right. And that's also something that I, that I find in my interviews. There are several examples of that where, where, um, um, what I call it in a way that, that these fathers, they describe often how they feel they have a very special relationship to their child one-on-one when nobody else is around, which is a kind of not the natural state of affairs in a normal family. Usually you are several people around or you interact with other families and other children. But um, they often point to, to special one-on-one uh, yeah, episodes with their children and um, they feel they only have problems when other people are there because then the child acts differently. And I, I don't um, I, I get the impression that they don't they don't take into account that the child actually adjusts very much to the father's needs. So um, from from the Min's perspective, uh, they see a child that is that is uh, often you know taking care of the father. And interpret that as a as, as a science of uh, devotion and closeness. Um, <clears throat> uh, while when I listen to it, I, I I think that this is a child who tries to make sure that the father does not get angry. Um, but for for the men, it's difficult to see that. Obviously, you know, because they they also want to <laughs> interpret uh, these behaviors as signs of closeness. Okay, and what I would like to do uh, in order Mm. to make sense of, of, you know, the very comprehensive information you have, I'd like to talk about some of these other signs and and, uh, indicators Mm. that you have discovered with these fathers, and then talk about whether you've been able to make any conclusions or do any research as to why that occurs. Again, Mm. uh, when we talk with people about these kinds of situations, uh, of course, you know, 30 years ago, everybody assumed that this only occurred, uh, that men only did this out of extreme frustration or anger. Um, now mm-hmm. we know that it's a little bit more complicated than that. Otherwise, they'd be beating up their bosses at work and everything else uh, if mm-hmm. it were just an anger problem or an alcohol problem. Uh, so right. let me pick your brain a little bit as to uh, what other kinds of things you have found in your research about these fathers. You've clearly mm. identify that dads think that, that that dads can't really pick up on the cues and and uh, subtleties of what their mm. child is uh, uh, exhibiting or even saying you've talked about how uh, dads interpret attempts by the child to not make waves and appease as in fact caring greatly for father and getting along for, with father what other mm. kinds of of behaviors and attitudes have you picked up in your research about these dads? Well, it's um, uh, what I find is that they're very conflicted about about being a father. It's, um, it's and it's a bit, it's, well, I was actually quite surprised uh, how how conflicted they were, many of them, because they could also acknowledge that usually, you know, I interviewed them for one and a half hour about and very open questions uh, like, you know, what do you like most about your child? What do you have most problems with? 
um, what gives you most joy being a father when you're angry what do you do how do you think that affects your child it's very open questions and initially uh, most men they they paint a picture of oh we're having a good time uh, I'm a, a, I have a great child and it's a, you know we have a good relationship and as the interview goes on the conflict arises and they acknowledge more of their their problems and they also talk more about the children's problems and then they in a, in a way they they go they go between wondering if it's their fault and blaming others or the child to and fro to and fro and it's um it's you know i think as a um, as a parent myself, I think it's um, it just must be hugely difficult to acknowledge that my child has huge problems because of me. Mm-hmm. Right? I think that would be normal, uh, and uh, this is something that I, I find throughout the uh, throughout the material. Um, so it's uh, as you said, it's it's complicated, and it's uh, it's also. My research is mainly descriptive, so I, I try to describe the best I can mm-hmm. how these men uh, talk about being a parent and what are the essential structures here. And um, I mean, I obviously ask some questions regarding why they do this or why they act the way they do. You know, one way of seeing it is that um, um, many of these fathers say they describe their own childhood um without a without a father or with a father who had huge problems often they describe childhoods with fathers who were much worse than what they are themselves um and they have actually quite clear ideas of how they want to be as fathers and often these ideas are defined by what they don't want to do so they have a, a clear idea of I do not want to beat my child because I get beaten, so I will never beat my child. And they don't, right? And by that standard, they f- find that I'm a good parent because what makes a good parent is not beating your kid. Now, there is this huge area which we would think is necessary <laughs> to uh, of, of behaviors that, that are necessary to uh, for for adequate child care, like being sensitive, being interested in the child's emotions, uh, you know, um, being, yeah. Yeah, attuned pa- into the patient, their needs. Right, yeah. all these things. And they never had that. They don't know, they really don't know that such a thing exists. But what they know exists is violence, alcohol abuse, instability, you know, um, and and they have clear ideas as parents that I do not want to do that. And they're good at that. They actually, and, and that's why they also feel so frustrated when people come and tell them, hey, we are really concerned about your parenting. Hmm. You know? Um, so there's this, uh, there is, act- that's actually a finding I have that what they describe is horrendous. You know? And, um, um, uh, and they have very vivid descriptions of, of violence and abuse that they grow up with and they use that obviously as a baseline for uh, for comparison and um, 
uh, yeah, they're actually doing better than what they grew up with. But there is this huge area which is kind of blind spot for them. You know, and, uh, and yes. Mm. How do they uh, justify or rationalize <laughs> the? Because you're dealing with men who are physically abused as well as other types of abuse, of course. But but how mm. do how do they rationalize the abuse of the mother? when it comes to their parenting of their child? Mm. Do they just dissociate that or do... Exactly. It's, that's, it's, that's a very good question. And it's, um, um, you know, they keep these relationships separate. It's my, it's my impression, you know, um, that they say my relationship to the child is one thing and my relationship to the child's mother is a totally different thing and they're not connected, which is in itself... Uh, it's uh, it's actually a very serious problem um, because they're not they they don't see the possibility that what they do to the mother's child affects the child because the mother-child relationship gets affected. Um, now let me let me also tell you that that in this research I also interviewed a couple of nonviolent men just for comparison. I did the same thing. I did the same interview just just to see if they would you know, describe things differently. And the main thing that's different is that the, the nonviolent fathers, they describe uh, their partners with respect. They use the word respect. You know, I respect my, we respect each other. I admire my wife. We are a team. These kind of things, they're never mentioned in the, in the uh, violent sample even not with the men who, who are still living together with the child's mother. Instead, in the sample of men in therapy for intimate partner violence, um, their fathering is kind of a, a private thing. It's, it's the me as father rather than the we as family. And they, they really want to be recognized as fathers. It's hugely important for them. Uh, so um, they experience their their partners or the child's mother as a threat often you know and the threat by by a threat i mean that um my my partner wants to destroy my relationship to the child or my partner is the better parent they actually say that they feel that my wife is much more competent as a parent and that they they find that threatening in a way hmm. and it makes do, them yeah hmm? do, do you and I may be jumping ahead um, and I mm. don't want to do that so if I'm jumping ahead what do you, <laughs> do you have other um, characteristics that you discovered uh, about these particular fathers Let, let's get those through and I'll make a note about the question I was just going to ask you well it's it's um <clears throat> you know it's 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 all always difficult to to generalize but um what the themes that come up in the interviews um, is that when they, for example, if you know when they when they describe the time when they became fathers, they all describe that as a very important change, uh, and that they really, really wanted to do to do a good job, you know? um, and. Uh, often they connect that to what they grew up with, that they really had this project of uh, I want to do something good here. And 
that initially they they also make it or they describe a big effort you know um and it's a uh, uh this might also be a cultural thing uh, just to to put that in here because in in the scandinavian countries uh the ideal is as a man or as a father that you should be involved um and and these men they that I interviewed, most of them they really want to be involved. They you know, they do a lot of housework, <laughs> as they describe. They do a lot of of uh Well wait a minute of, here now. Are yeah, they yeah, describing yeah. that they do a lot of housework and did you follow up with their wives? <laughs> yeah. No no, but it's 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 um it's you know they um they describe how they how they get up early in the morning to make breakfast for the kids and bring them to daycare, pick them up there. They also describe, you know, it's 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 really important. I believe that to be true the way they describe it. I don't think that they make up things uh, in this particular setting, um, because it's also it it fits with the ideal of the Norwegian dad. You know, so they they want to be that kind of father, and it's uh, um, but they, what they describe is that initially things were you know they had this they all described this period in the beginning where they felt that things were go really were going really good, and then the latest when the child starts to develop a will of her own, things. Become difficult, <laughs> yeah, right? And yeah, and yeah. and I find that interesting because that's also uh, that's that's in a way the main finding is that these men have big problems. I find uh, with with understanding other people's minds, you know, or, or their children's uh, minds. So. The child's intentions, the child's feelings, the child's thoughts—all these abstract things that you that you have to, in a way, infer from behavior—it's very difficult for them. And they say that they say, you know, my child. When they describe a toddler who cannot speak yet and and, and uses you know sign language and sounds and and points at stuff, they they say. I cannot understand what my child wants, and it frustrates me. You know, um, and there, there are many, many examples of uh, how uh, how they, in a way, get. You know, how they interpret quite early on that the child is provoking them or is is acting against them, and. Okay, wait a minute. So, so just so that I'm clear, so what you're saying is that Mm. because they don't have an understanding of what the child is trying to communicate, right? They kind of assume that the child is doing it on purpose just to confound them or to often, yes, yes, often that would be the case. Wow. No, they would they would say that. For example, there's a man who says that. the problem started kindergarten. I get there to pick her up, and I want to take her home so that we can have a nice dinner, which I planned, and that we can uh, play the, in a way that I planned. And and she acts up. She doesn't want to come, and she does a lot of things to irritate me. Right. So this man would would not consider that my child might be in the middle of something here with other children my child does not want to go home right now my child is you know having 
other plans than I have for my child. And this is interpreted as as uh, acting against the child. There's also this one particular example which I find illustrates this very well. There is this man who has a baby, he's 10 days old baby, and um, he says, I know that I'm totally off here, but when my baby cries and I try to soothe him and he does not stop crying, I feel he's doing that uh, to provoke me. That's my immediate reaction. And, and the thing is that this man, he knows that he's just totally off, but he describes the feeling in the situation. And this is something that, that many men describe and they get scared by that they say that my immediate reaction to my kids you know is completely off uh, they also some of them describe how they get really aggressive impulses um, when the child screams or or hits them small kids do these things you know and the men they they have this strong reaction of 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 aggression and then they are really scared by their own reactions because they don't want to have these feelings, but they just can't do anything about it. And for me, these, you know, one one way of understanding these uh, descriptions is uh, from a trauma perspective that uh, these are men who have been beaten and hurt, and and all these sensual modalities like touch or sound. Uh, just uh, trigger their system, you know, and and it confuses them. So that's one way of understanding it. You know, okay, no, so that I'm mm. clear. You're saying that it's the father that that touch and sound are trigger trigger for the father, or are you saying? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so you're saying that most of these dads had some sort of traumatic childhood, um, mm. and their fathering, as as with most of us. Uh, is mm. to a certain extent they they structure their fathering as in opposition to what they didn't like about their own childhoods. But I exactly. think, I think we all do that. I I always, I, I always say the, we all, all raise our children exactly the way we wanted to have been raised. Right. <laughs> Whether the child wants it or mm. not. <laughs> you know, and it takes us a while to figure out that maybe the child doesn't want the music lessons that you died for, you know. Um, but, right. But that sounds rather typical. It just sounds like they can't reason to a different place, uh, to right. a different level of that. Mm. Yeah, there are two. I mean, I think they're how should you say that? There are different dimensions to this. There is a conscious decision how they want to act as parents and what they want to do and what they definitely don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And that's a con- conscious decision. That's something they, they in a way, figure out how they want to act. And you have this whole aspect that is about their own, their own bodies, their own... Uh, subconscious processes which they often are not in touch with and they get triggered by their babies they get triggered by defiance they get triggered by by sound they get triggered by being hit um and and it they describe it as a strong physical reaction you know um that and they have this feeling that they immediately have to stop the child from acting um and that supersedes, in a way, their ability to to stop and 
reflect on hmm, what is my child trying to do here and why might she be acting like this? How is she experiencing the situation? You know, and it's a, that's one way of looking at it. Now, having said that, it's also important uh, that I'm um, I'm very uh, very aware of the fact that that uh, there are many fathers who have had bad childhoods who do not do any of this, yes. who can be sensitive dads and who can be good partners and nonviolent people, um, and. Uh, and you also have non-traumatized men who are violent and bad dads. Right. So um, it's just to uh, it's it's just really to say this is one of many many aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, so the trauma perspective is one perspective that I think uh, you definitely should take into account, but it's not in itself uh, explanatory. Yeah. Um, what what you've yeah. described in in mm. some of these descriptions of the behaviors. First of all, how how big was your sample size? How many men did you say you interviewed? <laughs> um, well, I interviewed forty men, forty okay. men in treatment, and then there were I think eight or nine who were uh, who were just as a comparison sample. Yeah. Right. Mm. Okay. All right. So that's a fairly substantial. That's a statistically relevant sample. Um, mm. uh, and and I must say I admire you doing the the, the quantitative research. I I. I find that that is much more difficult than the qualitative, even though I don't mm. like numbers, you know, because it, it's, it, it comes down to trying to uh, uh, not necessarily quantify, but to um, generalize information that is not numbers. It's easier to work with numbers and come up with ideas. Um, what mm. you described to me and, and the little notes that I took while you were describing some of these characteristics, if you will, of the dads. First of all, as you pointed out, you're dealing with volunteers. And I know uh, mm. I, I'm very close to the University of Washington out here in Seattle. And right. uh, a few years ago, they did a, a study that got a lot of publicity. And uh, I happened to know the researcher. And I said, you know, I, I, don't, I don't like this study because you based it on volunteers. And mm. of all of the men who are abusing, you know, all the people that they abuse, how many of them really see that they have an issue and will volunteer, will volunteer to get help? Mm. So you're basically dealing with the cream of the crop. You're dealing with the ones <laughs> who are willing mm. to, to examine their, their issues, their problems. You're dealing with, you know, you're dealing with the, the, the best of the worst. Um, yeah, that might be. And it's, it's important to say that um, in, in the Scandinavian countries, we do not have mandatory treatment. You know, um, as I understand it, in in the United States, a substantial part of treatment options are, you know, that you by court order have to to go to treatment, and uh, we don't do that. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a so. Um, in a way, I I I have to to admit that is true. That uh, these men are definitely not representative for the whole. Uh, range of of men who use violence, but um, I, I have met almost all these uh, men in person. Um, and what I like about this sample, even though it's not huge, it's um, that that it really covers uh, it covers a, a lot of different types of men. 
You know, you have uh, you have men who with a good education and uh, good income, and who are you know married to a <laughs> to a partner with a good education and good income, and you have those who don't have an income, and you have those who come from jail to do the interview, and you have those who are really, really. Uh, um, approving of of male dominance explicitly and you have those guys who who really want to be uh, equal in a way you know who do not who don't who, who who at least express that their ideal is equality between the genders so it's it's a um it's a it's a sample that that uh yeah um, bearing that in mind, that you're dealing mm. with this, uh, what I call the cream of the crop, um, mm. you know, even, even, and I, and the reason that I'm pointing that out is because even with that group, mm, exactly, the behaviors mm. and the attitudes that you're describing, to me, mm. the, the the words I jotted down: narcissistic, controlling, lacking empathy, mm. and immaturity. Those mm-hmm. are the words that came to my mind as you were describing these things. Am I right. off base here? I, I would you agree with my? Well, it's um, I'm, I, I find it difficult to say that they lack empathy because there are also many examples uh, where they are empathic. You know, where they where they can can say that. Oh, and I see that my child gets scared. And and there are men who say that you know my child breaks down crying and I feel so guilty and it's um, so that would that would and that's what I like about the interview study because when you just look at the at the quantitative findings you know it just says that well these men have a high amount of reported trauma and uh, they have uh, problems taking their children's perspective. When you look at the interview data or, or read the interviews, there's there's, it, it forces me to look at them as as men who also feel a lot for their children. Now it's very unstable. I would, but I would not say that they lack empathy. But it's it's more that uh, that they lose empathy in situations, especially in situations where they ideally need to be extra empathic. You know, in conflict situations, when their children are upset, when their children are crying or angry, uh, then they lose it. They have no problems being there for them when the children are, for example, uh, upset about things someone else did to them, right? Mm-hmm. So they uh, that uh, so if they would be if they would lack the ability for empathy, these things would not be present. Um, so for me, it's more about understanding uh, what makes them lose it and and why, or when, uh, when is it difficult for them to, to put the child first, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, and uh, again, I would, I would rather frame it like... Um, you know the ability to to understand other people as feeling and thinking subjects 
is something that we develop because others in our life treat us as feeling and thinking subjects. It's not something we are born with. We need to learn that people consistently treat us as as feeling and thinking subjects who who are worth of care and attention. And if you don't get that, then it's really difficult to to apply this to others. You know, and um. And so are you suggesting that it's a, a lack of training rather than some sort of inherent lack of empathy? I think it's a lack of experience. Experience? Not okay. necessarily training. You know, I mean, you could say training. You know, if you, if you consider the first five years of life as a period where you do extensive training in, in intersubjective relationships as a child, you learn everything about... Uh, how other people function and how how you can relate to them you know then they lack this particular training very often because they just didn't have it and it's uh it's often i when i work with these men uh, in therapy i feel they have this huge uh invisible handicap that uh that we also um expect them to be able to do things that they never had the chance to learn and um, and that we expect things from them that they that they just can't do. Now, what they can, what they have learned is they have, in a way, learned the they have learned the language of care. They have learned to um, to to do and to say and to, to you know to play the part, mm-hmm. but. They, my my understanding is that they often have a very shallow meaning, you know, uh, connected to 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 relationships. That relationships are confusing to them, meaningless, you know. But they have picked up that when when somebody smiles at you and says, <laughs> um, "How are you doing?" That they smile back and say, um, Doing fine. How are you doing? You know, it's 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 in a way. That's what I mean by they've picked up on on the, the what you do in relationships, what you do as a father, what you say. But it's meaningless to them. It, it lacks a deeper meaning. You're, you're almost describing Asperger's-like symptoms. Uh, uh, symptoms. It seems to me. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, and, and that's very important. Yeah. Uh, in a way, uh, it's. Uh, that might be, yeah. No, I, I'm not suggesting that these people have Asperger's, yeah. but in a way, it's maybe the the effect is similar. There is a, you know, there is a huge difficulty making sense of other people's feelings and emotions. They're either not picked up on, or in the case of of my findings uh, in this study, um, they're also interpreted consistently with a negative bias, right? Yeah. So. Um, um, so when a child uh, cries or is upset, many of the fathers tended to to f- experience that as a personal rejection, mm-hmm. you know, rather than thinking, hmm, what can I do here to help my child or, you know, not take it personally. <laughs> yes, exactly. Mm, mm. Well, and and that, you know, I mean, again, I come back to you know my my adjectives that are the, the narcissistic. I mean, it's all about me. It's all about yeah. me, kind of thing. 
Um, did you do some uh, any kinds of uh, evaluative personality surveys where you picked up on any consistently, or, or you know, any any personality uh, issues that you could right. label based on? No, that? no, I didn't do that, and uh, we. Um, we don't do that uh, in okay. our work. We do not uh, make diagnostic evaluations regarding personality, okay. um, and it's it's also um, it's very often we ask these questions. You know, are these men psychopaths or are they narcissistic? Mm-hmm. Um, no, what I can say from the way I read the interviews with them is, I feel rather that these are people who are very very insecure and easily feel threatened. Really, right. because you know that's so interesting. Because yeah. uh, again, based on my limited personal experience with uh, abusers, uh, they right. co- tend to come across as very confident, very self-assured, exactly. very you right. know, which is mm. not certainly unusual for us to exhibit behaviors that are directly opposite mm. of what we're feeling uh, deep inside. Um, interesting, very interesting. Um, I'm I'm looking at the clock here, and I don't mean to rush you, but I I do right. want to make sure that we we get everything. So you. <laughs> did not do any kind of personality inventories or anything um, no. with this, and that I understand that. Um, mm. One of the things, you know, earlier on in our interview when you were talking about the history of abuse or trauma mm. in their backgrounds, uh, right now, I, uh, you know, the ACEs study, uh, the Adverse Childhood Experiences study is, is just kind of like really, I don't know why it took 30 years for it to catch mm. on, but it's really catching on in education. And uh, and mm. I was I'm very fortunate to interview Dr. Vincent Folletti, who, who was instrumental in doing that research. Um, right. And um, did you do any kind of ACEs assessment on these dads? Um, not, I did not uh, use the ACE questionnaire. Okay. Um, uh, we used a, a questionnaire um, called the Trauma uh, Traumatic Experiences Checklist, okay. um, which is basically assessing the the um, prevalence of single trauma, like uh, accidents or you know death in the family, and relational trauma, which is would cover you know psychological and physical and sexual abuse by a family uh, or others um, or or an alcohol problem in the family like chronic lasting uh, trauma um, does it include so mental illness yes okay all right mm. So we we and and what we find there is that what most men reported uh, was actually um, a third of the sample reported growing up with people or with parents who had an alcohol problem. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was more present than growing up in families where there was uh, physical violence between the parents. Um, and what we also found was that very many men reported sexual contact, sexual abuse. Um, and uh, my colleague Ingun Askeland in Oslo, she she wrote a PhD on on amongst others mental health uh, and uh, in men who who are in treatment for intimate partner violence, and she found similar similar things um, using the same questionnaire. So what what I you know in in Norway the the rate for men in the general population for sexual abuse is about three percent mm-hmm. and in our samples it's about 15 so it's um 
it's again you know the most people who are violent have not experienced this particular trauma but it seems like all uh, as a group these men report more trauma and more chronic trauma than than the general population so it's it's an aspect it's a one part of it what i believe is that you know uh, i'm very concerned uh, of, of, of gender and gender roles as well and the construction of gender and how that plays in here and um, uh, one way I try to make sense of my findings is uh, that in a way for men who have emotional problems that from, from when they're children on they are taught to deal with them alone and they are uh, they are taught to suppress them you know, and it's uh, that makes them more vulnerable for for developing mental health issues and relational problems and aggression. So it's it's in a way, um, yeah. I I I would say that that the the problems these men describe with that they have with with uh, relating to their kids and to their to their partners. Um, uh, I think that's uh, that's mainly based on something they have experienced and uh, how life has taught them to deal with it. And uh, for men, there, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Um, mm. So I have to think we, you you brought up the issue of treatment and how in many uh, uh, mm. districts in the United States it's thought to have mandatory treatment. Um, mm. in, in my experience in interviewing and in um, you know uh, my my educational background, treatment. You know, I'm going to cross some boundaries here and I'll get some flack for this, but basically treatment doesn't work. For these guys, right? Um, <laughs> you know, so but it, mm. it, the courts seem to continue to do it because it's something they can mm. do. Because what else mm. can we do? We got to make this guy do something. We've got to address it right. somehow. Uh, and so right. that seems to be that whole hang up with treatment. Nevertheless, I think all of us hope that wish that there and hope that there is some way of treating these issues. Mm. What kind of uh, do you have any conclusions or theories about treatment in relation to what you've discovered in your your research? Um, well, one thing is that uh, treatment with this group takes time, um, and also it's uh, the, it depends on. I think what's important is that we have to acknowledge that that. Uh, there's a huge group of men who have problems with aggression and violence, and that should that we need to develop more and more uh, interventions or, or uh, therapy options for this for men in general, and especially for men who have problems with violence and aggression. Um, as I said, the men that I met, they were very different, different, and they had different problems. It's it's very very difficult to say that you know how should treatment be for the whole bunch because I don't believe in that. Uh, I think there are some fathers where treatment should focus on making them understand that the best is that they should not have contact with their kids at all, right? Uh, and I've had that. I have had that with that may might be some of my best therapies is that I actually got men to understand that if I leave my kid alone it's the best thing I can do as a father mm-hmm. um, but also there's a 
huge group uh, of men who have been violent towards their partners or to their children, um, but who also have uh, been important for their children. And I do therapy with small kids, with toddlers, together with their mothers exposed to, to violence. And what I what also surprised me was that, that the kids miss their dad. You know, they they wonder where did he go and uh, why is he not here anymore and why can't I see him? And that's uh, that's a whole different story, of course. Uh, but I I think it's um, it's important that we have different approaches to different problems. Some men you need to work with alone. Other men you might want to have the goal of including the child in therapy at some point to to help them repair you know and it's uh and and i know that this is controversial but uh i i i think that it's uh, it's important to to have the possibility and there there is a um in the United States, there is uh, Carla Stover at Yale who has developed a program called Fathers for Change, which which uh, has the option, or you know, if things are safe and and uh, the family, including the mother, is uh, is in a way involved in this and and uh, approves that that the father and the child have sessions together therapeutically that deal with. Uh, how can we talk about what has happened and and how can we repair and and uh, reconnect and it's uh, um, and in a way that's that's also what I conclude with uh, from this study is that that one thing is what many men who are violent do against the child's mother and what they also do against their children in terms of physical violence and and actual abusive behavior. Um, that has to obviously to stop and all therapy has to have that as a goal mm-hmm. now but even if that stops many of these fathers are you know they would not be healthy dads for their kids they need to learn a whole lot about attunement about uh, making sense of the child uh, and so on and and this is a i think this is a huge blind spot that um that many 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 service providers say well now he we can see you know he stopped hitting or he stopped screaming but it's 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 not that in my in my mind it's not that that does the main damage for the child the main damage for the child is that i live with someone who does not understand me yeah and who does not recognize who i am and when i'm not recognized as a subject i cannot grow well, the, and the other issue about that, I think, is that you know, that whole walking on eggs thing. You know, yeah, if you yeah. grow up in an environment mm. where you have to be very cautious that what you Absolutely. say, what you mm. do at any mm. moment could trigger something. Right. I, I think right. that's a hugely detrimental environment in which a child needs to, for a child to grow up. I mean, that's just my, my personal opinion. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's more damaging than being hit. On occasion, I, I think right. that whole uh, you know I, mm. I mean that's huge, and when you are anyone living with this abuser, um, you always you are always aware that at any right. moment it could just mm. go south. At any moment, it could mm. something will trigger the bad stuff. Exactly, um, and and here here comes the interesting thing, from when I read the father's descriptions 
you know, they are not aware. There are these descriptions of some of them who, who, who in a way say that, you know, there's this example of a man who, who says how he and his wife are what he calls quarreling. You know, they're, uh, yeah. And, and then he describes how the, the child goes in and says, Mom, just stop. If you just be quiet, he will stop. And this man is completely unsettled by that. He does not understand that the child actually experiences him as being aggressive in that situation and that it's a that that the child in a way instructs the mom how to deal with him in order to to get peace. You know, so it's um um this walking on eggshells is all that would be a part of it, you know, because it is about the implicit experience of the ones affected by the violence. And maybe the main finding in my research is that these men have no idea about other people's experience right yeah. they and and it's a uh, and that's why it's also really difficult for them to to understand that uh when when their children are scared or when their partner is scared mm-hmm. because they interpret that as a as everything's good you know, there's again, there's this, this man who said, you know, my, my child, he, is, he has no problems with me. When I'm sleeping, he makes sure that no one wakes me up. He is so good <laughs> care, you know? Do you see what I mean? Yes. I, I'm, uh, and it's, it's, it's uh, the, the five-year-old, he knows what happens when somebody wakes the dad up because dad gets really angry. Yeah. But the yeah. father interprets this as a sign of care and of loving and a, a, a proof that the, that the son... Uh, uh, is devoted to the father, and um, and it's it's the whole psychological field that is attached to the violence that that I think uh, we need we need therapeutic interventions that address these and raise awareness uh, and um, and usually that's a very time consuming process. So you know, in in the agency where I work, we we're in the lucky position that we that we can actually spend time <laughs> so sometimes we have therapies that last for two years once a week mm-hmm. uh, and it's uh, it's uh, you know and it's again it's debatable because who can wait that long yes. you know, to, and, and, and what to do while things are going on and what can you tolerate and how many you know mm-hmm. uh, how many times is it okay that a yeah, that yeah. a man gets aggressive again during his treatment. There are all these questions attached. But um, um, well, the whole thing of of treatment. Mm. I mean, you, you've got mm. you know the cost, the time. You know, I mean, uh, mm. uh, other family. You know, so I mean, it. Uh, although I agree with you, it's ideal to these problems don't occur overnight. And I know one of mm. my, the disturbing trends for me. Um, is you know uh, therapy via Skype or therapy via mm. uh, you know um, uh, the, all the different modalities that, try, that that we're trying here in the states and I assume other places in the world are as well um, mm. to try and do quick fixes and maybe that's fine if you're just the ordinary person who's not having major trauma and you just want mm. somebody to talk to your problems about but when you're talking about somebody with serious issues. That's mm. not going to be something that's solved in a couple of phone calls and a and a Skype session. Never, so, no. Yeah, and I I I would ne- I would not do that. I 
Exactly, because a central aspect is uh, it's everything that happens at the micro level, you know. The, yeah. And you pick, you don't pick up on that when you talk to someone on Skype. Uh, you 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 really have to be in the room to feel the tension, yes. and and it's also what happens to you, you know, as this therapist uh, being with a man who who gets activated, um, and that you can use the relationship in the room to to. Uh, to pinpoint some of of these processes for the person you know yeah. like now i get now i get anxious when you start talking loudly mm-hmm. for example uh, so so i think it's a um again it's it's one thing is focusing on behavior change and that's obviously necessary you know people who act aggressively need to to learn how to stop that but the other thing is the whole emotional landscape that they have to explore and get to know uh, in order to be able to connect to people mm-hmm. well, and yeah. something else yeah mm. I, I mean what and I keep coming back to the not as a form of criticism but I keep coming back to the fact that you worked with volunteers people mm-hmm. who acknowledged that something needed to be done about something you know whether yeah. they were accepting responsibility for it as their issue or what but but these are people think of i mean i have no clue what percentage of abusers mm. would voluntarily you know but as you pointed out at the beginning of our interview most of them most of them wouldn't see that they have a problem it's somebody else's problem or the system's mm. problem um you know right. I, I mean the the big mantra here in the states is you know by these these fathers is well the abuse the the system is skewed uh in favor of the mother they just right. believe it when in fact mm. all the latest research shows just the absolute opposite uh, right. I, I don't mm. know if you're familiar with Joan Meyer's research, but uh, you know she was she was on our show as well. And I mean, mm. it was just and and you know um, uh, Richard Saunders. I mean, all of the research is showing that just the opposite. If anything, mm. the courts are in favor and and skew toward the abusive father. And yet right. the fathers still see it as it's them against me, poor me, poor me. Um, mm. And and if it's that way, you know, with with people who acknowledge that they have some sort of work to do, mm. wow, what what's going on with all of those others? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, well, you're, you're completely right. It's uh, it, we we reach out and we come in contact with a tiny percentage of all men who who are violent, uh, and um. So that's also important that this research that I present is not is not in any way representative for all men or for, for example, for men who who are in jail for their violence or yeah. you know it's it's uh, it's a it's a, tr- a sample in treatment. Yeah. But what I think is important is that you know even if it might only uh, reach few men, and even if if of these few men it won't work for all of them. Mm-hmm. I think we still need to continue to exist, you know, because it's, um, um, it, I mean, I mean, it, the family violence as, as a, as a public issue, uh, it has developed through the, I don't know what past 30, 40 years. It's, it's not a very old field. And before that, it was just a, a private thing. Yes. And I think that, um, you know, at least in, in, in Norway, it's, uh, 
and there's huge uh, focus on on uh, on family violence and how to intervene and and as a part of it we need to to develop uh, services for men yeah you know mental health services for men uh, and we have to talk to boys and men about mental health and about emotions and about emotional problems and you know it, it goes hand in hand um yeah uh, and, there, and 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 I think these things they they don't they don't develop uh, if we if we don't keep them up. Yeah. No. Well, and as you pointed out, you know, mm. I mean, if if we're dealing with abusers in this group, and as you pointed out that not everyone who's abused turns into an abuser, we know that. Mm. However, mm. if you have been abused, you know, <laughs> you know, you, the the people who are abusing are people who have this in their background for the most part. So, mm. you know, based on the ACEs study and your study, mm. you know. What are we doing if we don't address the children who are growing up today in these kinds of yeah. environments? You know, I mean, mm. I think it's a, it, it's 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 a huge obligation on our parts, and I'm I'm mm. throwing myself in there. I mean, <laughs> I'm not really yeah, doing yeah, anything. Yeah. You're doing it, um, but you know, it's it's a huge obligation that we try to do what we can to make sure that today's children aren't growing up in these kinds mm. of environments, if as much as we're able. Right, and and. You know, and I think the development is going the right direction because there are there are interventions uh, now for uh, for you know young couples expecting their first baby where all the risk factors are present. You know, uh, like the family nurse partnership program, yeah. um, um, or you um, or you have uh, interventions for toddlers. Uh, trauma like child psych uh, child parent psychotherapy uh where where very young children are treated you know um in ways that that didn't exist 15 years ago yeah. you know uh, uh, henning mm -hmm. uh, if, if i may call you henning um yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much i'm looking at our clock mm -hmm. i can't believe that we've talked for an hour here about this issue your research wow. has been so significant and and mm -hmm. you are so articulate in explaining it to us um and and i really appreciate your coming on the show what's what's in the future for you what what research do you have down the road <laughs> well, I hope I have research down the road. I'm mainly a clinician. Uh, I I'm, would like to use the interview material for uh, an article that looks specifically at uh, at gender constructions uh, in 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 the material, um, because I got interested in that when I when I was dealing with it. How how do these men experience themselves? Uh, you know, or yes. what is what is typical male for them, or what is good a good way of being a man, and what's a bad way of being a man and a father, yes. yeah. and and how how, how what defines uh, a good woman, and uh, you know, and how do they talk about women? Uh, yeah. Well, that's a whole different uh, show. <laughs> absolutely, but it's uh, that if you ask for the future, that's something I would like to do. I don't know if yeah. I get the chance, but that's uh, that's something I would like to use the material for. Mm. Well, I'm sure you, and I hope that you do get that chance, and I hope that you share mm. that information with us uh, as you develop that as well, because this has been a great interview. It's been very informative. We don't often, uh, when we talk about abusers on this show, and, and in general, I think we usually are talking about treatment, we're talking about punishment, but very mm. rarely have I seen research that, in, that talks about the experience, you know, the fathering 
by these men. Mm. Um, so mm. I appreciate your research. I really uh, have learned a lot. I've, I, you should see I've taken like three pages of notes here. Um, <laughs> so I thank you very much. Mm. I do hope you'll join us again and uh, as mm. you develop this information and uh, more information, I hope you'll join us here on the show. And uh, mm. good luck in finishing your PhD. I'm, I'm on the last leg of mine, so you have my sympathies. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much and, okay. and thank you for having me. It was well, a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for okay. listening on Three Women, yeah. Three Ways. Join us again next week.